Hello, everyone. I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlon. And this is New Tricks for Old Dogs. Our podcast features the many ways us older folks howl at the moon, odd news items you don't normally hear about, and conversations with other old dogs who are growing bolder, not older. So if you've got 25 minutes or so, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a chair, and join us. Today we're bringing you a special episode of the Old Dogs Podcast. Every pod nugget and every part of our discussion today is going to be centered on the coronavirus epidemic. And uh, part of that is you and I are working with each other remotely. Usually we're in the same room. Now you and I are connecting over Skype. So, you know, the, we should probably add also that, that the quality of the sound may not be what people are used to with our podcast because of the equipment that we're using now. And that's why Paul sounds so bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't mean it quite like that. Anyway, in today's ramble, we reflect on the pluses and minuses of staying at home. In our fashion department, we report on what the well-dressed executive is wearing from the waist up. We learn about how doctors are managing phone-in diagnosis. We warn that your smartphone may be spying on you. We offer a clarification to the clueless, it's not the corona beer virus. And we scour the news for signs of hope and cheer in this dark time. The Old Dogs interview features new conversations with previous guests on our podcast. What's new in their lives? We'll find out. Say, Jim, what's on your mind today? Well, if you're not tired of hearing about it, I guess what's on my mind is this epidemic we're dealing with. I'll say, you know, in fact, our, our whole episode today is dealing with uh, our experiences with the coronavirus and what's going on in the world. Yeah, so uh, what are you dealing with right now, Paul? What's changed in your life? Cabin fever. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I I can't fight the urge to go to the grocery store. I don't do it. Mm. And my wife, Susan, has to hold me back forcibly. Uh, she's really the force for uh, disinfecting uh our hands. Yeah, I, I think it's about the same uh, with us. Uh, fortunately, I have a partner who uh, keeps me honest, and uh, uh, and I have been trying to follow pretty strict guidelines. But yeah, there's a certain amount of cabin fever. Uh, but fortunately, we have a lovely yard, uh, which we have been working on mightily since we have the opportunity. And uh, we've been taking nice long walks in the neighborhood. Well, you know, uh, we all have things to do. Our daughter, Savannah, is home from college. So she goes to her room during the day and attends classes virtually. Uh, my wife, Susan, is still working. Uh, so she finds another corner or goes out in the backyard and handles her work. And I go up to my office and uh, record podcast stuff with you. <laughs> <laughs> We come together in the evening, uh, usually make a meal together, you know, digging through whatever is on the shelf. And then we sit down and watch television together, which is kind of unusual for us. Mm. So in a strange way, it's brought us all together more, even though we at the same time feel kind of isolated from our neighbors. Yeah, um, we're finding new ways to use the current ways of staying connected, which is interesting for folks in our age bracket, that we are really embracing technology in a way that maybe we were resistant to do, maybe not so many years ago. 
Well, you know, what's interesting from, from my point of view is suddenly my family is looking at me as vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Me too. <laughs> How are you feeling? You okay? Yeah. You know, uh, my son will contact me periodically and make sure I haven't died. <laughs> and How does he and, know? Uh, you know <laughs> my, my daughter, Savannah, and my wife, Susan, are, are very protective about me uh, and also kind of scold me for not washing my hands enough. My daughter uh, has uh, proposed, and we're going to do this tomorrow, we are going out to the state park to walk around the park together so that we can be physically present, although six feet apart. Uh, she's very concerned about that. And my son has two young boys, and uh, we've initiated, speaking of technology, a FaceTime session where we read stories to them, and they read stories to us. So it's been a daily connection with our grandkids. What a great idea. What a great idea. But I, I feel <laughs> I feel sorry for my daughter-in-law because she's a school teacher, which means she's at home now. All three kids are home now. But, uh, you know, I, I should probably check whether she's still alive. <laughs> Not a bad Three thought. kids can wear you out. Yeah, really. And, you know, for a lot of parents, younger parents, uh, it's like summer vacation, but <laughs> with a lot more restrictions. You know? But the hope is that uh, people are finding new ways to deal with this. Um, one of our pod nuggets gets into that a little bit. And I think that people, as time passes, and it will, will become more inventive, more resourceful, and maybe feel better about themselves for all of the ingenious ways they're dealing with the issue. You know, I feel inspired by people stepping up and extending themselves in this time of crisis and uh, working together. You know, I, I think uh, two months ago, I would have thought that this country was so fragmented that there was no way we could do anything uh, at the same time. Mm-hmm. But but now I'm starting to feel more hopeful about that. You know, there is a side to this social isolation that's very affirming. Yeah, I agree. And I hope that it lasts well beyond the confines of this epidemic. Uh, we'll see. I'm with you, though. I hope it does, too. In this age of forced telecommuting, people may only be half-dressed from the waist up. This pod nugget is from the Washington Post for March 28, 2020. As more people work from home, dressing casually is the norm. Except there is still a desire to make a good impression. So if an at-home worker knows that they will be having a video chat with colleagues, they'll put on a professional-looking top. According to a Walmart executive, The store has seen increased sales in tops, but not bottoms. You might call it webcam business casual. He suggests that this half-dressed style will continue to evolve as people get accustomed to working at home. While business clothing has gotten increasingly casual over the years, we doubt if this fashion trend will continue once people return to the workplace. Although it is possible, we'll see a fashion trend of designer sweatpants and pajama bottoms on casual Fridays. (laughs) So what are you wearing now, Paul? (laughs) Earrings. Your next visit to the doctor will likely be on Zoom or Skype. This item comes to us from the Washington Post for March 19th, 2020. 
Healthcare workers are the most at risk for contracting the coronavirus, and doctors' waiting rooms are a gathering place for the contagious. So doctors and hospitals are asking patients to contact their doctors through video chats, voice calls, texts, and emails. This is a logical first line of defense for doctors and patients with less serious illnesses. Handling the initial contact with a doctor at long distance is a good way to focus care and limited medical supplies on the most urgent cases. As more Americans get sick with the coronavirus, an initial online diagnosis will be the best option for getting tested quickly. A webcam checkup sounds weird because we're not used to it, but the coronavirus is forcing a paradigm shift. Teladoc Health, America's largest provider of distant diagnosis, says its video appointments surged 50% in the last week. Some 95% of the Teladoc cases get resolved entirely online. That's a lot of people who avoided sitting in a doctor's waiting room. There are access and security concerns with telemedicine that still need to be resolved. But not all doctors are on board because of bureaucratic and insurance hassles. But earlier this week, the Trump administration loosened some rules that make it easier for doctors to use telemedicine for Medicare patients and get paid for it. Probably the biggest challenge is changing the behavior of patients. Different generations may have different comfort levels with medical apps. They also have different notions about what it means to see the doctor. But in many ways... A telemedicine appointment is like any other. You just spend less time in the waiting room. I say amen to that. Your smartphone is probably contributing to a coronavirus surveillance system, and you have no idea you're being spied upon. This item is from the Washington Post for March 24, 2020. A company called Unicast that collects and analyzes phone GPS data has launched a social distancing scoreboard. It grades county by county the total distance we travel as a rough index for whether we're staying home during the coronavirus pandemic. Unicast's location data comes from games, shopping, and utility apps that millions of Americans have installed on their cell phones. It's part of a shadowy world of location tracking that the average consumer is unaware of. Google also collects and shares where we go. Google Maps includes a feature that measures the popularity of a site based on location data. Instagram lets you see shared updates from places. So both tools are useful if you want to avoid crowded locations when taking a walk. However... The U.S. government is in talks with Facebook, Google, and other tech companies about using tracking data to indicate whether people are keeping a safe distance from each other. The plan is for the data to be anonymous and used by health officials. But there are obvious privacy concerns since the data is being collected without the consent of the people being tracked. The Unicast maps are not that sophisticated. The company assigns an A grade to places that show a 40% reduction in distance traveled. Anything less than 10% gets an F. The A ratings on March 20th included Massachusetts, Alaska, Nevada, and Vermont. The only F was Wyoming. Granted, the Unicast scores don't measure whether people are staying six feet apart, which is central to social distancing. But the company is exploring adding layers to its information gathering that will make the mapping more informative. Meanwhile, either resign yourself to being watched by your phone or leave your phone home when you travel. 
Of course, without GPS, there will be a lot of people wandering around aimlessly, not knowing where they're going. <laughs> Which is pretty much par for the course in my world. As we are forced into isolation in our homes, we crave connection in these scary times. This pod nugget is from the New York Times for March 28, 2020, and our personal experiences. With the possible exception of the September 11, 2001 attacks and their aftermath, most Americans have never lived through times like these. The coronavirus has brought a combination of health risks, economic peril, and uncertainty about the future. And of course, we are constantly reminded that people our age are at the most risk. The presidential race, which seemed so important a few weeks ago, is barely mentioned. Gatherings that we used to enjoy are now a health risk to be avoided. And of course, we are constantly reminded that people our age are at the most risk. Our main escape from our homes is a daily walk through our neighborhood with our dog. We wave at neighbors, ah, but at a safe distance. We avoid trips for takeout or a grocery run because of the risk of infection. As a result, our menus have gotten a little strange <laughs> as we finally access those foods and canned goods that have been hiding in the back of the pantry or the remote corners of the freezer. Then there's our concern for the thousands of people who have lost their jobs in the service and retail industries and the small businesses that have been cut off from their customers and the arts organizations, big and small, that in the best of times struggle for survival. This new normal feels isolated and scary with an uncertain future. But it's not without hope. This country has always been resilient. There is more connecting us than dividing us. In Midtown Atlanta this week, residents emerged on their balconies and burst into cheers and applause for the health care workers who have been risking their lives. A group of students from Berklee College of Music in Boston created a virtual orchestra and performed the song, What the World Needs Now is Love. On Twitter, actor John Krasinski asked his followers to send him stories that made them feel good this week. Crowdfunding sites are popping up to help people in need. Messages of hope and resilience are appearing in all kinds of places. People have colored the pavement in chalk with feel-good slogans. In Ohio, children write, stay safe and wash your hands. In Florida, a woman drew a smiling sun and wrote, always look on the bright side of life. In Manhattan, a poster was tied to a fence in Riverside Park with a poem that read, Spring, spring, a wonderful thing, the rain, the sun, and the flowers. We will miss you this year because we're inside all quarantined for hours. Ah, but this too shall pass. Have yourself a quarantini. Practice social distancing. Connect virtually with family and friends. Stay safe. And of course, wash your hands. Tony Caputo was in episode one as our first interview. Tony and a group of friends in Salt Lake City were offering free advice at a local farmer's market that attracted national press coverage. Things are good. You know, I mean, considering things are really bad, you know, my family's healthy. You know, the sun's shining today. You know, our business is, is alive. We're actually a grocery store, so we're, we're allowed to stay open. We sell Mediterranean, you know, groceries, but Italian, Greek, Spanish, French. Um, but so that's, that's what's keeping us alive. We're kind of, well, obviously everybody's disbanded. We don't go have coffee anymore. Hopefully things will be shaped up by 
this summer when we can go back and go to work at the farmer's market. You know, we were on uh, Good Morning America and we were on a CBS special. So <laughs> we've been we've been out there anyway. Bill Hines was our second interview. He's a cartoonist with decades in newspapers across America. Over the years, he has learned to change with the times, adapting to new technologies and new distribution. But he's finding that this particular situation may be a bit too much for newspapers. It looks like this coronavirus is going to be taking out a lot of the the old and feeble. And one of those things that's old and feeble is the newspaper business. And uh, so there's a, a good chance that uh, newspaper business, and as far as I'm concerned, comic strip business, may not survive this thing. Um, I think a lot of the newspapers live on uh, advertising inserts, and they're not doing those right now. And so uh, they're basically just running out of <laughs> out of revenue. Uh, and so that means I need to redefine my uh, career. And um, I'm thinking maybe retired person might fit in there. <laughs> Lydia Porta was the interview in our third episode. Lydia is a successful actress based in Los Angeles. She has several projects that are now on hold because of coronavirus. One of my friends sent out an article. We were supposed to get together March 21st. And they said, you know, we can't because we have to quarantine because we found out that someone that has coronavirus was on our production and was actually on it for like a week. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. You know, all the productions started closing down. And before you knew it, Hollywood is completely shut down. So what's happening now with production is that production companies are not telling people to shut down. They're telling people to put their projects on hold and continue writing episodes so they'll have more episodes to produce when we're able to come back to production. And I'm hoping that some of these projects that I was on hold for will survive the shutdown and and also come back. But uh, we'll just have to see about that. Mike Lieberman was the fourth person we interviewed, a successful doctor and hospital administrator. He is also known as a poet and an author of fiction. Mike and his wife, Susan, recently moved to California and talks about what they have been encountering there. It's a very ordinary pedestrian life on the, um, on the surface and a very rich one internally. It feels very romantic. It feels like we've been taken back to our youth and we're on this extended... Did you ever read Love in a Time of Cholera? We feel a little bit like that, except uh, uh, we're hoping for a happy ending. The truth is that we're more than occupied, not only the the usual that everyone will tell you, watching the news, keeping up with Corona, keeping up with friends, sharing tips, sharing humor, but also each of us is busy at work on another book. I'm in the middle of, like Penelope, I'm spinning another yarn by day, and at night my unconscious takes it apart and tells me to get to work in the morning. Um... Am I optimistic in the long run? Yes, but the operative word is long run. Uh, Probably it is best on the general podcast simply to say that science, medicine, epidemiology, and statistics should triumph in this. Tom Cliff was the interview in our seventh episode. Tom had a long career as a lawyer and a banker in Detroit. 
In his mid-60s, he went back to school and became a therapist. Everybody I know is taking this seriously. And everybody I know is, you know, staying home. And yet, I think there's a vague sense of unreality. Like, well, this has been going on for, what, three weeks now? But um, one sense of the future is kind of muddled. It seems like uh, people are kind of willing to believe that maybe, yes, maybe this will go on, but um, it won't be really, really any different from what it is today. I think the, the dimensions of it are sort of slow to come along. Uh, which is good, because if we all believed everything that's posted, uh, we'd all be living in terror in the basement. People are certainly attuned to it. Nobody is denying it. Nobody I know is denying it. And yet, I think we all sort of think, you know, kind of it's just one foot in front of the other. And that's not bad. Uh, if we really were to get uh, emotionally involved with, you know, how this is and who is, you know, what what age groups are, are at risk. Uh, I don't know, maybe panic would ensue, but so far I don't see signs of panic. Nobody seems to be in bed with the covers pulled up. People talk about uh, value of mindfulness at stressful times. And that sounds like it. Being aware of being someplace, you know, where you are right then, right now, and what you are seeing right then, right now, not worrying about getting home or Uh, going to the store or what's going to be in the news tomorrow, what's going to happen in the market. No, but just be there and enjoy, literally enjoying the moment. Steve Epstein was our ninth interview subject. He's encountered changes in his business and in his personal life. The way I make my money is I have a a record store, uh, eBay record store, and the way I get my records is going around to the garage sales you know, you have a lot of movie stars and all that pass away and find some pretty interesting old recordings. And uh, that is gone, but I, ha- I have a nice back stock. So I'm still, you know, I'm doing as well as ever with my sales because people are, uh, you know, online, um, still shopping. I live actually a couple blocks from my wife and my grandchildren and my daughter and all. But I, I've been able to go there uh, every day now and uh, see my whole family, uh, you know, my immediate family, anytime I want. So that's really nice. And uh, it's it's fun. The teenagers are, uh, you know, we love each other, but we don't get to hang out much because they're always booked up with their friends and all, and I've been getting to see them a lot. I'm having a lot more fun with the family now. All in all, it's been working out great for me, aside from, you know, the obvious. Michelle Watkins had a two-part interview in episodes 21 and 22. Michelle is a former actress who is currently on staff at a retirement community. Her marketing work brings her into contact daily with a population most at risk with the coronavirus. That's people our age. It's a challenging time for sure. But, um, you know, we had a a party last week we called a quarantini party. And we took um, champagne around to all of the apartments and people just kind of toasted each other from their doorways and stood in the hallways and chatted. <laughs> we're, we're getting hard up for social uh, involvement with people. So, but it, it's all, it's all good. I think probably more in my work life than in, in my own personal life, what is, you know, the buzz that this community has and the, the people always around and there's always something going on and the people are always so so hospitable and warm and, and now there's no visitors. There's an eerie quietness to it, you know, 
Um, I'm figuring out how to reach out to people via video conferencing and like, well, like the Zoom thing. And, you know, you can do Zoom with the with the pictures, too. And you're like the Brady Bunch kind of talking to each other. And but how very cool that, that we even have those kinds of things that can do their best at trying to keep us connected and in helping our residents with doing FaceTime with their families and, you know, setting up uh, Zoom parties for them and those kinds of things. I mean, it's it's a whole different world, but it's we sure are lucky to have that realm that we can go into in these very weird times, you know. Like what you've been hearing? How about sharing the joy with your friends? We can always use more listeners. All our episodes are available on our website, www.olddogspodcast.com. And there are a lot more episodes on the way, so stay tuned and keep howling at the moon.